Hi, welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Mark Sheeran and I will be talking today about um, choosing to stay abstinent after you leave recovery. What are the benefits of abstinence? Um, we wrote the Freedom Model for Addictions, Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap, and the Freedom Model for the Family to help people to learn how they can overcome addiction and move on with their lives. We offer an incredible opportunity to work with us directly in private one-on-one classes. You can learn about all of our products at thefreedommodel.org. So one of the most common misconceptions about our program when people get the book, because we start the book with the concept of moderation, is that we are a program only for people who want to learn how to moderate. And that's not true at all. We started as an abstinence-based program um, but, but we wanted to focus today on what if you just want to leave the recovery world and you've been, maybe you've gone in and out um, and you're thinking, you know, substances don't hold much value to me anymore, but I want to learn how to be abstinent. How do you do that, Mark? Well, I think first you have to have a, a change in mindset. You know, I was talking with somebody not that long ago about a quantum change, right? A quantum change in mindset. And it's a weird thing that happens until it's happened to you. Um, it's hard to understand, you know, and I always talk about this, that um, I I made the switch from a really heavy, heavy daily drinker um, to a person who abstains. I made that switch in a moment. Right. Right. But if I look back, there was a learning process that was about six months long prior to that quantum shift. And it's almost like in, in a mentality, there's a momentum that happens. If you have a bunch of thoughts that are devoted to drinking and the value of drinking, the value of being drunk, and you built that value system into drinking and you're giving alcohol so much credit for your happiness and, and, and that's really the center of your life for years and years and years, you build momentum in your mind. Right, you build a habit in your mind of thinking it that way, thinking about it that way. Then, then somewhere, somewhere, and I would say it was probably about six months before I actually quit. It was in June of 1988. Me and my brother Paul were sitting around talking, and and it hit me that I I had a significant issue with drinking. Like it really was an issue at that point. And I said, Oh my God, you know, I have to make a change. So. Now, that is the beginning of a change in trajectory in my thoughts. That's not the quantum shift, right? It's just a a little trajectory shift at that point. It's not this massive change in the way I'm thinking yet. But it was working on me. I was thinking differently. I I was deciding whether I really enjoyed it that much. And I, I was throwing some of the biggest parties in the area at the time and having a hell of a time. Um... But I, at the same time, I was incredibly lonely and lost. And I was thinking, I can't be drunk enough or take enough drugs to be happy anymore. I, and I mean, I was taking massive doses of all kinds of cocktails and drugs all mixed together at the time. And I was really miserable. And I remember thinking, God, this isn't working. And I think that was the beginning. The beginning for me was while high while totally hammered on the verge of blacking out all the time and blacking out and having really bad episodes. But no matter how drunk or high I was, I wasn't happy anymore. And when that happens, 
you you will naturally start to seek out something better. Now I didn't I couldn't conceive at that point that being sober would be better. Okay? Because right. I was sold a bill of goods since I was a little boy of recovery being this awful battle. Right. So so this idea of being sober didn't appeal to me, but being drunk and high as hell no longer had the allure it once had. So I go through this six-month period where I'm testing things. Now, I didn't realize that I was changing my mind, right? There's that term, changing your mind. I was changing my mind. I was changing my mindset. I was changing my expectations about what booze and drugs did for me. I was challenging whether it was really worth it. And then three months into that analysis where I'm drunk every day, literally every day, just hammered out of my mind um, and wondering why it didn't work anymore. I had that experience. I may have said this on a previous uh, episode podcast, so bear with me if I told this story just not that long ago. Um, but I had this experience where I was going to get beer and I saw a kid driving his car to work and he stopped at a light in front of me and I was jealous. I was jealous that he was going to work and I was at eight o'clock going to get beer. And because I knew by 10 o'clock, I would start getting really sick and I would need to drink. And and that that was a big shift. That's where I finally was like, oh, that's what I want. I want to be that kid. I don't want to be the bum going across the street getting a six-pack to get rid of the shakes. <laughs> I, I, that wasn't that appealing anymore to me, you know? So then that started to cascade other thoughts, and I started to really get depressed. Then the, the, so the following three months was, was being depressed all the time, drinking, and having no real fun at it. Then finally I get in a car accident and I have the quantum shift and I can easily, just like that, quit. But it, you see, so there was, for me, there was, there was this process of changing my mindset, but those are the factors of my life. I know a lot of people where it's a lot quicker than that. I know other people that have struggled for 20 years because they're, they, they just really see value in drinking still. So anyway, once I made the decision to abstain, for me, I was excited to do it. Yeah, which is amazing considering you were raised um, in AA like I was. And in this whole idea of abstinence being a struggle um, is not appealing to most people. And and it's it's why people, you know, when they go to the 12-step program or they go to treatment, it's why the rates of binge usage go up, go up like nine times. I mean, you're nine times more likely to to have a heavy binge problem if you've been exposed to recovery. So, so because, because you have this idea, like I can remember cognitively thinking that like not imagining my life without alcohol. Yeah. Like my whole life I was, you know, I was drinking heavily from about 17 to 22 and daily from pretty much those last two years and and the idea that once I quit, I would have to quit forever deterred me definitely. And um, so so if you're if you but if your goal, say you, you found the freedom model and you've really been trying treatment and it hasn't been working for you, or maybe you've been abstinent for a long period of time and and you're thinking, I I you know. I'm, I may be somebody that can't moderate. I need a lot of times when people will say to me, um, well, your program is about moderation and, and I, I'm just, 
I'm not that person. I can't do that. Um, well, our program is about choosing how you can be happier. Yeah, it, it, all options are available. There's we make no make no uh, preference for one option or the other. We talk about adjusted substance use. We don't even really use the term moderation that much in the book. Um, and I, I'll tell you why we switched it from moderation to adjusted use, because moderation has all kinds of baggage. And, yeah. And to sit around. And it's subjective. Yeah, exactly. And it's been bastardized by the whole recovery movement into this impossible task. So I said, let's just change it to adjusted use. That seems more accurate. Um, you're adjusting your level of use to something that is less problematic or just more beneficial to you um, and and more exciting or more tolerant or whatever it might be tolerable. So, uh, but I, I got to tell you, I love abstaining. I was excited to move on with my life and not have booze be a part of it because my self-image, I no longer wanted this alcoholic self-image. I, I, I fucking hated it. I, I did not like any piece of that part of it. It was embarrassing, and I was desperate to have a better life um, at that point in my life. Uh, so, so, yeah, I think that people do have get misconstrued when they say your program is about moderation. The only reason they think that is because we open the book with that statement. Um, but, but the whole book is about choosing something that's better for you, whatever that is, either yeah. adjusting your use or abstinence. Um, but remember, every single author of the Freedom Model abstained for a long we period did. of time. I did for 20 years. I mean, I knew Steve did for about five years. Um, it's it, That was an important time in my life. I built my family. I built my career. Um, see, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you, whether you are a heavy substance user or you're abstaining in treat like in recovery, your focus in your life is still on the substance. Right. Because you're in recovery trying to avoid the substance, trying to convince yourself that you don't want it anymore, trying to convince yourself that you have to be sober, you have to be drug-free. Um, so you're in meetings doing that or therapy or whatever it is. Um, when or or you're heavily using, which is that go back and forth between the binging and the abstaining. Um, what the freedom model is all about is you're not focused on substances at all anymore. It becomes a very, very small, it, maybe it's if you decide to abstain, it's part of your past. Right. You know, it's not, you don't define yourself moving forward on things that you don't do anymore. Right. You know, so, which we I know we talk about all the time. So you're not going to define yourself by this activity that you once loved um, because the goal is to move forward in your life abstinent because you know you're happier that way. Yeah. Um, because you don't feel like it holds any benefits for you anymore. It doesn't add anything else to your life. So that's the goal of the freedom model. And so, so read through the whole book. If you don't be fearful, because that's what happens is a lot of people are like, you're going to remind me what I loved about it. And I'm right. going to want to go back to it. You're going to make me think that I can drink safely again. You know, well, we're going to make you know you're not out of control. Right. Right. And that, that you, there's really no safe drinking. I mean, right. Every, every, there's no safe substance. There's no safe living. <laughs> there's no safe driving. Right. <laughs> I mean, you're at the mercy of everybody else around you. Living is, is sort of a risky proposition and we're all going to die anyway. We're all going to take a dirt nap at some point anyway. So so the question is, um, 
you know, it's not about risk. What, what the reason you would, you would change your preferences based on the benefits of the new option, right. not avoiding the pitfalls of the old option. You right. see, there's a, there's a real difference between those two attitudes. One is looking forward. One is looking back. One is recovery. One is moving on. So I look at, I, I wanted to move on. Yeah. I was excited at the proposition of being healthy. I quit smoking. I can remember I took up running. I excelled at my job. I got great grades at college. I, I just was excited to live. And, and if you drink enough, it's just not that exciting anymore. That's for sure. And it can be a very lonely place. And it really was that for me. Um, it, look, at if you're still having fun with it, if it still has a place in your life, then, then adjust your use to, to that level. I drink now in a moderate way, right? Yeah. I drink in a way that's like candy. That's what I call it. I call it my dessert. When I'm looking, I live in a fantasy. I catch the buzz and I live in my little fantasy. But I know it's a fantasy. I, I know it's me <laughs> just using alcohol as a tool to it's sort of... It's a treat. Yeah, to en enhance an experience or whatever. But I know that it's me, not the drug doing that. Right. You know, and that's the big difference. So, but abstaining was really an exciting time in my life because I built amazing things in my life because yeah. I was so focused. And if you've been shit-faced for years like I was, yeah. coming out of that is, is amazing because you're so healthy, you know, and your brain is so clear and your thoughts are so clear. Um, so there's real intense benefits to that. I, I felt like I couldn't lose. You know, yeah. I was just at a spot in my life where I felt like I could tackle anything and work 16, 20 hours a day, which is what I did for like 10 <laughs> years straight. It was awesome. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that uh, I think it's important to realize that you don't have to abstain out of fear. Yeah, that's the kicker. You know, you don't have to abstain out of fear. I can I can remember when I shifted um, my thinking with respect to abstinence from fear of consequences because the probably the first three four months that I went to meetings, well, first of all, I I stopped drinking, which people may have heard before. I stopped drinking about five days before I went to my first meeting. Went through withdrawal myself at home, just feeling very ill, and then went to my first meeting. But it was probably a good three months before I had come to the conclusion that I was happier, abstinent. I, I didn't, I was somebody that, that. Well, what's interesting about your situation is if you think about mine and yours comparatively, right? Yeah. All you did, the difference between you and I was you got sober before you actually made the decision to fully abstain. Yes. So you got sober out of guilt and a number of things and trying to avoid consequences. I remember right. I was there. And then it was this miserable time in your life for the oh, next that 90 was days. Awful. Well, what you were doing, you that was your deliberation period. Yeah. The only difference between you and I is I did the deliberation drunk. Right. You did it sober. So so sometimes that, that's a great example of two people having an experience of, of getting to the same place, which is seeing abstinence as a really positive experience, but doing it in different ways. Right. You did it. You know, probably you were drinking and drugging and getting to the spot where it wasn't that fun. There was plenty of consequences. You quit sort of the recovery model where you quit to avoid consequences. 
then you bump into a bunch of people that are having fun abs- abstaining, yeah. which is what the Baldwin House was all about back in those days, the original research project. And you go, oh, I can have fun and abstain at the same time. I can really change. When you say that's accurate. Yeah, that's totally accurate. It's totally accurate. But but I what I struggled with, I think my deliberation had a lot more to do with this idea that I would have to abstain for the rest of my life. And, you know, and did I really, had I crossed that line? Where is that line? That line where you become a true alcoholic. Oh, you know, see, I went yeah. over and over that shit in my head. I think we all did because we're all so beat up with AA. Yeah. What a what a huge horrendous distraction to just just deciding you know I I want to move in a better direction which is so simple it's yeah. so simple and so effective and yet you spend all your time with all this recovery horseshit you know wondering if do I belong here you Jesus, know you know I consciously the people that I surrounded myself with in college. Um, I, I went through friends pretty quickly and I ended up with a group of people that were heavy substance users and not all of them were, but the people I was closest to were used like I did because I didn't want to feel, um, bad about how heavy I was using. And, and I remember most of them, all of them, except for me, kind of left college and adjusted their substance use quite naturally and got on with their lives. Right. And they were just as bad as I was. And I remember thinking, I wish I was like them. Oh, God. You know, I remember being 13, <laughs> drinking, you know, in those in those sort of um, backwoods keggers. Yeah. And looking around and going, God, why do I feel guilty? Yes. Why do I have to? It was them? never fun for us. Jesus, you know. And, and so I'd have to get blind drunk to shut that shit off in yep. my head. And, and I was always troubled. I was yeah, always troubled. And what a waste. What a waste. I now, I, I got to say, for four years, I did have fun. I, I shut that shit out <laughs> as best I could. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> because because it was it was so much fun as a teenager. See, the, the thing about drinking and drugging when you're young is everything in your life is new. You it have your is. first loves. You have your first drives in the car. You have your first drunks. You know, you have all these firsts. And the first of anything is always the funnest because it's the most unknown but then, you know, it's like anything. It wears out. Yeah. The experience wears out and you got to move on. Well, that's the thing. I just, when you said that, it, right from go for me too, I'm like, why can I drink more than everybody else? Why are these girls having two drinks and they're acting like ridiculous? And um, so let me just warn anyone who maybe has been in recovery themselves. If you have kids... God, please don't tell them they're going to be alcoholics and addicts. Please don't set that up. Oh, that's so that's so important. That's so important what you just said. I deal all the time with parents. I was talking to a student here at the retreat not that long ago talking about her daughter. And she said, oh, don't worry. I've warned her about all the dangers oh, of drugs. Oh, I know. I said, no, no. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. It's The drug doesn't have power. Teach them how to drink and drug. If they're already doing it, teach them how to how to have uh, dominion over it in their mind, yeah, and uh, and to not be afraid and to know that they're completely in control, and to run some experiments where they they might get higher drunk and let them realize that they have control while they're doing it. Yeah, I taught my kids that kind of stuff young, and so if you drink and drug, always know you're in control. That's right. You That's know? right. That that just because 
mom and dad once had a problem. If anything, mom and dad learned how to how to get on with their lives, how to overcome the problem and get on with their lives um, because it doesn't have power. And God forbid what they're teaching them in school is completely wrong. Oh, it's terrible. You know, because they're simultaneously teaching you that substances are everything. They're all good and all evil. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they have the yeah. power, these magical powers to do wonderful things. Um, but they also have the power to enslave you. And none of it is true. The educational system has failed people in this way. Yeah. Um, and Well, they taught them the religion. Yes. They taught them the mythology and all the mysticism of any religion. And it's all faith works. It's all stuff that is that is um, purely based on belief. If I believe yeah. that drugs have these mystical powers, they do. Right. Because we imbue our own mindfulness onto a substance, a lifeless substance. It's craziness. Yeah. It's craziness, but it's literally what religion does. It's a religion, the addiction and recovery religion. And we talk about that in the beginning of the freedom model as well, that it's a religion. So our schools are now teaching religion. Yeah. So look it. If your goal is abstinence, and that's what you truly want, then here's a test for you. Um, go through chapter four and figure out all the things. If you still believe that you would be out of control if you tried to moderate, then you still believe in the magical powers of substances and you will always be denying yourself what you truly want to do. Um, so, so really look at it, go through, you know, take your substance of choice, the one that you liked, the, figure out what you feel like you're missing out on, um, really hit it head on and, and learn what substances can and can't do for you through the book. And quite frankly, you can also look at, you know, how your life has been since then. And if you're genuinely happier without it. Um, if you've shown yourself you don't need it for the things you thought you did at one point in time, um, then of course you can move forward in your life and remain abstinent. You're happier that way. Yeah. You know, that's how people stay abstinent. And, um, that's how we stayed abstinent for all the time that we did. Um, and, but I tell you, it is go through the freedom model to learn that you are truly free, that it has no power over you whatsoever that there's nothing that's going to trigger you into use, that there's no reason to fear it. Um, you know, I, I personally think that made my life better, knowing those things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, knowing the truth, the truth does set you free. It does. And in this case, in the realm of the recovery society, with all its religious adherence to the bullshit, um, knowing the truth is everything. Yeah. It's everything. It's the only way to get out and move on with your life. Uh, so yeah, I look at if you if you struggle with all of these ideas that we're talking about, you got to read the whole book. Yeah, read the whole book. Don't don't go reading a quarter of it and then saying, wait, no, this doesn't matter. You got to read the whole thing. Yeah, you know, um, because there's so much more mythology that people believe in than they realize. That's for sure. And, and a lot of people will say, I don't think it I know addiction isn't a disease, but um, but, but there are people that can't, that can't, you know, some people can drink, some people can't. And if you believe that, then you still believe in the disease mythology. Yeah. Anytime yeah. you believe in loss of control, you believe, yeah. uh, that there is no free will. 
either free will is an is absolutely true, either you can choose or you can't. There is no partial free will. Right. That that does not exist. It can't exist. You can't have free will sometimes because then it wouldn't be free will. Right. So you're either a believer in determinism or you are a believer in free will. Now I know just because it's self-evident, I choose. Right. I choose to pick up that cup of coffee. I choose to feed myself. I choose to do the things I do during the day. So I don't know about you, <laughs> but I but I choose it. So um yeah, free will is an absolute. Now, um if you're if you're struggling going back and forth and um sometimes you just gotta be open to the possibility uh that you can be happier in life to making a change. And um so if if you really want abstinence, first of all, you have to believe that you can do it and you can which you can see in our book right from the beginning of the book. Um, there's no loss of control. So, but go through the book abstinent. Really, if you need to go to detox, go to detox, um, especially if it's alcohol, benzos, uh, which can be dangerous, or opiates. Um, you know, get yourself into detox and, um, and really dig into the program and figure out that you can be happier abstinent. Yep. Yep. Now, if you need, if you're at the spot where you need help, um, Michelle and I do private classes, uh, one-on-one, -on -one, uh, where you would, you'd have a class with me, um, or Michelle, and you can do that over Zoom. We call that Freedom Model Private Instruction. Um, we also have our residential retreat, and, uh, people have been coming here for 31 years where they learn the Freedom Model from us directly. Again, everything is one-on-one. -on -one. Either myself or Michelle will teach you. Um, and Steve teaches some classes down in New York, but on a part-time basis now because he's doing other things, writing and things of that nature. Um, so, yeah, uh, we'd be happy to teach you. And um, I'll have Michelle read our little, this is how you can get a hold of us and the different groups and stuff like that. Yes. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening today. If you or someone you know is seeking help for a substance use problem or other habitual behavior problem, or you want help breaking free and moving past recovery as well, you can reach us at 888-424-2626 or through our websites, thefreedommodel.org and soberforever.net. Soberforever.net provides detailed information about our residential retreat, the St. Jude Retreat, and thefreedommodel.org is our hub and has a ton of free resources and information, including some videos, these podcasts, free ebooks, and information about our at-home private instruction program. Digital editions of our full program books are available um, for your uh, mobile device. Um, They're the Freedom Model for Addictions and the Freedom Model for the Family. And uh, you can enter coupon code FREEDOM100 at checkout to get either of those books. That's at thefreedommodel.org. Um, uh, just go to the Our Books tab and pick the book that you want. Uh, paperback and, and ebook versions are available uh, for purchase on Amazon or one of the other online retailers. And if you have questions, you wanna reach us, once again, our number is 888-424-2626 or email us at info at thefreedommodel.org. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and subscribe to the Freedom Model YouTube channel. There are three Facebook groups we started for people to discuss their experiences breaking free from addiction and 
recovery. They are the Freedom Model Group, Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery, and Families Moving Beyond Addiction and Recovery. If you need detox, go to Gallus Detox. That's G-A-L-L-U-S Detox.com. From everyone here at the Freedom Model, we wish you well. All right, take care.